Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. So tonight we are going to uh, step into Shabbat. Megan is going to be um, leading us in this Torah portion. I know that uh, this is a place that mom and dad feel, uh, I mean, and we all feel right. We can say like if there's anyone who would be able to step into those shoes, it would be Megan. I don't know that I would be ready to step in and handle a Torah portion. And Megan has um, not only been one to sit at Yahweh's feet, but one to sit at mom and dad's feet and to really learn to do what they do and to be how they've been um, and to engage with Yahweh the way that they have. And so, Megan, thank you for going first. Thank you for allowing Torah to read you. Thank you for um, thank you for being willing to look at everything. Thank you for being willing to speak to the wall of resistance and to call that out in us so that we really can see life on the other side. We're going to dive right in. We're ready. Now Sarah's life was 127 years. The years of Sarah's life. Sarah died in Kiri Arba that is in Hebron in the land of Canaan. Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and weep over her. Then Abraham rose from before his dead one and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am an outsider and a sojourner among you. Give me a graveset grave among you so you so you so that I may bury my dead one before my presence. The sons of Heth an- answered Abraham, saying to him, Listen to us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead one in the best of our graves. None among us will withhold his grave for you to bury your dead one. Then Abraham got up and bowed down to the people of the land, to the sons of Heth, and spoke with them, saying, If you are of a mind to let me bury my dead from before my presence, listen to me. Plead with Ephron, son of Zophar, on my behalf, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah that belongs to him, that is at the end of the field, at the full price. Let him give it to me in your midst for a gravesite. Now Ephron was sitting in the midst, uh, midst of the sons of Heth. Then Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the ears of the sons of Heth, all those who entered the gate of his city, saying, No, my Lord, listen to me. The field I hereby give it to you, also the cave that is in it. I hereby give it to you. In the eyes of the sons of my people, I hereby give it to you. Bury your dead one. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land and spoke to Ephron in the ears of the people of the land, saying, but if only you would please listen to me. I hereby give the price of the field. Accept it for from me that I may bury my dead one there. So Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. A land worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? Bury your dead one. Abraham heard Ephron, so Abraham weighed out to Ephron the silver that he had spoken of in the ears of the sons of Heth. 
400 shekels of silver at the merchant's rate. Now Ephron's field that is in Machpelah next to Mamre, the field and the cave that is in it, and all the trees that are in uh, are in the field in all its surrounding territory was handed over to Abraham as a purchased possession in the eyes of the sons of Heth before all those who entered the gate of his city. Afterwards, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah next to Mamre. This is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that was in it were handed over to Abraham as a gravesite for the sons of Heth. All right. So with communion, this is something that at the beginning of this season, Yahweh spoke there would be a re-familiarizing of ourselves with things that we've been called to remember, that we have taken for granted because they were familiar. So as we become familiar with who he really is, we're being re-familiarized with the depth and the meaning behind why we do what we do. There are some things that we used to do that had no meaning or that had meaning that we didn't want there to be meaning in. And communion is one of those things that is a commanded form of remembrance that we start to make routine and we don't recognize in the moment the transaction that's taking place and the intention behind that transaction. So in this season, becoming familiar with the Torah and moving from Torah right into communion, a moment of remembrance, there's a transaction that's taking place that is movement from the promise of salvation because it's receiving the very thing that he gave us access for so when you say it is established or this Torah portion has been written on my heart and you eat of him or you you put something physically in your body that's meant to remind you of who he is and what he's done, that is becoming fully alive and written in you so that you can become it. So when you say that, let's make sure that we don't fall back into old habits, old patterns of take this, eat my body, drink this, drink my blood, and it doesn't transform us in that very moment. It is a transformative moment every Shabbat, every time that you drink and you eat. You are becoming more and more like him, and you're activating the very promise that he laid down his body and that he shed his blood for. So when you're ready 
and you feel like you are postured in that place and only from that place, if it takes you a moment, give it a moment. It's deserving of that. It's deserving of our reverence. It's deserving of our reflection and our deep understanding of its intention. So when you're ready, you can say this Torah portion has been written on my heart knowing that he died to give you the access for that to become alive in you. All right, and then when you're ready, you can take the cup and declare that it is established only when you understand that voicing that it is established means that the intimacy that this represents, you are not taking for granted. And it is established, grants him permission. Know what you are committing to before you make a commitment, before you step into a transaction. Understand what that will require of you. Is that not what we are learning? So know when you say it is established, what that means is that you are ready for him to build on what he has done. We had a lot of directives this week. <laughs> How did everybody do? How's everybody feeling? Good. I see a lot of raw faces. <laughs> I see a lot of emotion. But I also see just an entire building filled with completely tenacious, absolutely laid down lovers. So I'm really proud and really um, just overwhelmed to be able to, um, to dive in following a week like this week with everyone. So, we are going to start tonight with going through some different character attributes that we have been learning about Abraham, about Sarah, and about Yahweh. We're going to start there for a reason, and then we're going to move into some areas of focus and impartation from this Torah portion. And you're going to start to hear them when we dissect the attributes of um, these individuals and of Yahweh. That was one of the main directives that we were given by the Spirit when we started Genesis, is that we were going to become awakened to his character. Right? And... It's such an interesting picture and parallel when we simultaneously get to become familiar with the character and the attributes of the forefathers of our faith. While Yahweh makes himself known, while Yahweh reveals himself to us, he's revealing himself through them. So I'm going to write you guys know I like to write. 
We're going to start with Abraham. Okay. This isn't all encompassing. So I know that there are many more attributes and characteristics that we've been introduced to when it comes to Abraham, but these are the ones that I felt needed to be highlighted tonight. What we know about Abraham is that he was set apart. He was a pagan called out of a place. We know that he was obedient. What was Abraham told to do when he was called out of a place? Go, leave, right? If I could sum it up, I would say get going. We know that Abraham was faithful. And we know that he grew to know Yahweh. That's an important distinction. He grew to know him. He grew through his pursuit of the promise. So he grows to know Yahweh through his journey to receive the process, a process that was intimate and it was unto nations. Right? So there's a personal element to the promise that he reveals when he called, when he sets him apart and he tells him to get going. And in his faithfulness, he responds. And in his faithfulness, he endures this journey to receive or usher in the fulfillment of that promise. And that promise is personal and intimate, as the seed will come from him, who has yet to even bear a child, and it's a promise on behalf of nations. So his journey is intimate and on behalf of. Does it sound familiar yet? <laughs> Talk about being inserted into a timeline, right? Called to walk a certain way. Okay. Now we have Sarah. Sarah, so that I don't rewrite things, is all of the above. Okay. Sarah's set apart. She's obedient. She was faithful. And she grew to know him. Sarah also, one thing we've learned about her is she went from laughter in doubt and hopelessness to laughter in joy and awe. The second big takeaway from Sarah that we're going to focus on is we learn from Sarah that who mothers you matters. Going back to Genesis 21. The spirit, the helper that you are birthed from and that raises you matters. The question that she calls us to ask is who is 
or who has been mothering you? I want to talk about that for a minute. In the last several years that we have been receiving what's to come, after so much tearing down, one of the questions that the Spirit asked us was, whose table have you been sitting at? Then there was a question about who has been fathering you. Does everyone remember when that was asked? Take some time, dive in, who has been fathering you? Because we were coming out of a narrative where the voice of the Father was false. Not his voice. What had been fathering us was false. It did not represent him. <coughs> so now we have access to being raised by the Father. In truth, there's also a mother, right? The spirit that raises you, that nurtures you, that guides you, that leads you, that gives you wisdom, that feeds you, that nourishes you. So when Genesis 21 came, that was a big moment for us as a remnant people because that was when we were invited to ensure that we were aware of who has been mothering us. Whose truth have you been submitted to? And when you receive truth, who breaks it down for you? You could look at that as your mindset, your filter of truth, right? Something comes in and what we said as a family that we would stand in faith and trust in is that we are outside of the narrative. So whatever is released, we know it is in fullness and it is in truth. That doesn't mean that you'll receive it that way. That doesn't guarantee that you being able to receive will safeguard that truth fully because you still have to wrestle through how, how it comes in. Right? Your, your filters, your mindsets that the narrative built up in us, that religion constructed in us, can be a gate that keeps truth from being impregnated within us. <clears throat> okay. So you can refamiliarize yourself with Genesis 21 if you haven't asked yourselves that question yet. It's important. Okay. When we talk about who's been mothering you, that's the same thing as what was released about spirit or flesh. This was when mom taught on Boxer. Does everybody remember what portion I'm referring to? Okay. So the spirit of truth can be released, truth can come, but my flesh can receive it instead of my spirit. Okay. 
I don't even know where to begin about what we've been learning about Yahweh. But there's two things that we're going to focus on tonight. I, 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 have, I have to at least start by just, I want to go back a little bit because I don't want to just say those two because there's been so much. <laughs> um, but we have been introduced to his redemptive character. We've been introduced to his intimacy. You remember one of the first Torah portions that we got into where we all kind of just... It, it, it was, I, I feel like everyone had the same face and everybody had the same hair at the end, at the end of the night where we were just like, he, 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 cre- he created me to be intimate with me. There was, there was just such an untwisting that was taking place. So anyways, um, his faithfulness, um, his justice, his mercy, a couple of things from this chapter that I'm not going to write here um, was how he honors you. This is this is a character attribute of your father, of your creator, that he honors you for the creation that you are. Can that not change your whole life? Understanding one aspect of his character, if you were to walk with one aspect, with the fullness of understanding of one aspect of his character, could it not sustain you in abundance and take you through to the end of your life? There's just one. All right, the two that we're going to focus on from this chapter. His emphasis is on life. And just as he's intentional in creation and life, and as we see in death, which is what we're going to dissect tonight, he also calls us to remembrance. So what we're learning about Yahweh are absolutely attributes of who he is and his character, but it's intertwined with his standards. It's intertwined with his values. Because just like us and the way that I present myself or the way that I talk to people or the way that I live my life isn't haphazard or just responsive to life itself, but it's coming out of an overflow of my values. Right? That's how it should be. If I'm kind, I'm not kind because it's cool to be kind. It is. <laughs> it is super cool to be kind. But 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 it's it's because that is that is a value, a core belief, a it's it's a part of me because it's a part of him and it flows out of my heart. So I'm kind. Right? Because I understand who you are. Like just just kindness. I am I see Kendra. I see Kendra, that's going to make me cry, but I see you as a creation that he put all of his effort and his energy and his intentionality in, and everything that he did thereafter was for you. So I'm kind. There's a difference. 
So this one, the second one, sounds a little bit different because you can't necessarily say it's an attribute, but it's something that he values. Which is remembrance. He calls us to remembrance. That is not a new word in this house. We have a table of remembrance right in this square. We've talked about how important it is to be reminded and to remember. And those are two things that we're going to dive into tonight. So, attributes, values of Yahweh are also the two things that I feel are what he wants to release over us as a house tonight. All right. So the first impartation that's related to his attributes and his value is that death is a beginning, which every, 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 every Vox so far, every Missy's opening, um, clearly, I'm thankful that I heard too. <laughs> um, because clearly that is, um, that is the impartation tonight, is that death, we are going to um, dive into a little bit more about death as a beginning and death as a means to obtain the promise. There are some things that are so foundational that I feel are being completely reintroduced in ways that I have not understood or in ways that I understood maybe a fraction of, but it was from such a, such an impure, like there was so much else mixed into it that he's extracting just the, the, the purity of what's been distorted and setting it apart just as you've been set apart so that we can obtain it. And this is one of them. It's not, it's certainly not a new concept that death is a beginning. That is the gospel. That is Yeshua. That is salvation. That is eternal life. Death as a beginning. But also, death as a means to obtain the promise has never been full. And that's what we're going to focus on. Okay, so what I found the most interesting about this Torah portion is that so much of the focus was on her actual burial plot, was on the land. Was that overwhelming and kind of odd? At, at least it was, it was odd to, to me. Because when I think of a chapter on death, which already is a paradox because it's titled The Life of Sarah. So you already start to dabble in some of the, the, the paradox of heaven where, okay, yes, we know that, we know that death is a beginning. We, we understand you know, life and you know, a, a reflection on, on her life. 
um, honoring her life. That makes sense. That makes sense. And then it's all of the ways that he ensures her burial. And there are a lot of different directions that we can go on that because I, 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 we know, too, that we're being reintroduced to his culture, even literally when it comes to burial. I mean, we could completely dissect that. How are we supposed to be buried? How are we supposed to honor those who die? I, I don't fully, I haven't fully understood or known, or it comes from our, the, the culture of our family. Uh, there's Catholicism here. I'm talking about my literal family. There's, you know, there's, there's, the, there's the Hispanic culture, and then there's this, and then there's that, you know, and kind of like just a mix of things. And so this is, this is how we do that. So, so there's so much mixed in here, but what we're going to focus on specifically is why the land. So, so this chapter, it's all about what he's willing to pay, where she's going to be buried, not, not just what he's willing to pay, but what he's actually demanding to pay. Something that could be freely given, out of what context, I'm not really sure if it's honoring her death, that they're like, no, we'll... Death is, we want to honor that if it's manipulation, if it's, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I think that there's a lot behind that interaction that's taking place, but Abraham is who we're called to emanate, emulate, right? So Abraham is what we're going to focus on. Okay. So he buys it for full price. It's legal. It's official, and there are witnesses. I'm going to read verses 16 through 18. I should call Tatum back up to reread it. <laughs> She's like, no, thank you. <laughs> All right, Abraham heard Ephron. So Abraham weighed out to Ephron the silver that he had spoken of in the ears of the son of Heth, 400 shekels of silver at the merchant's rate. Now Ephron's field that is in Machpelah next to Mamre, the field in the cave that is in it, and all the trees that are in the field, in all its surrounding territory, was handed over to Abraham as a purchased possession in the eyes of the sons of Heth before all those who enter the gate of his city. Okay. Did you hear all the intentionality? In the verse, yeah, the witnesses, the de- the specifics, the details. Why? Why is that so significant? Why is that what was chosen from that excerpt in time? I can only imagine, especially with what I know will be revealed and entrusted to us at some point when it comes to honoring the dead or what it looks like to to remember and to that that he chose to focus on this to be in our hands and in the hands of the generations who are learning and remembering what it means to walk as a faithful son and as a faithful daughter 
why does this part matter? Bless you. This is an expression of death as a means to obtain the promise. This was the land that was promised to Abraham that up until now, this point in time, he didn't have any legal access or right to. None. He was a sojourner. What does it say? An outsider, a sojourner in the land that he was promised. Here, his wife dies, and he chooses to use her death as a means to continue to remain faithful to the promise of Yahweh. The land promised, oh, I'm just going to refer back to it. The land promised from the very beginning when he was set apart. Canaan. This was payment towards his inheritance. But remember, it's not just intimate, it's on behalf of nations. So in the loss of Sarah, he demands, I will pay full price, and it must be in this land, because it's the land that we were promised, not just to us, as he says goodbye to his wife, who faithfully and obediently walked on behalf of that promise, now is laid to rest, laid in the ground, and he continues. So not just intimate, an intimate um, payment towards his inheritance, but the inheritance of the nations that were promised. When we talk about unto, this is what it means. Meaning when we are rallied as a family, as a community, to stand on behalf of, this is how we're called to walk. And then in verse 19, it says, Afterward, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field. And there's more description of the land, the field and the cave that was in it were handed over to Abraham from the sons of Heth. So this is his first transaction, financial, legal, when it comes to accessing that inheritance, accessing that promise. And it simply says, afterward, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife. Which is kind of what I thought the whole chapter would be about. <laughs> and it reminded me of 
Um, it reminded me of the fulfillment of the promise of Isaac, where it's like, and then she had a baby. <laughs> but what I think is so powerful about that is that the focus or the emphasis is so on the journey towards the promise because that is truly where the fulfillment of the promise begins anyway. Not, and I don't just mean literally, yes, if in faith and in hope and in trust, you are walking towards the promise of Yahweh, the intimate promise of Yahweh and the promise of Yahweh on behalf of nations. But it's through that promise. I shouldn't have erased that. It's going to refer back to something else. But remember what we've learned from Abraham and from Sarah, that through the journey towards the promise is where they began to know him. which is what the promise was intended for to begin with. That you would have full access. That there would be intimacy. That there would be relationship. That Yahweh would have a partner in you. That he would be utilized as a partner on your behalf. So you're sent from a promise to then receive more promise. And there are some things on behalf of the bride that we're going to have to work through and that we're going to have to address to make sure that there's nothing hindering us walking that out fully, which is that wall of resistance, and we're going to talk more about that. But that emphasis afterward, Abraham buried Sarah on the promise or that life, her actual death, that journey to obtain the promise is already a fulfillment because it's unfolding relationship and intimacy with him. Okay. Before we get to that wall and how it's connected to this portion and moving out from last week, we need to address the second focal point of the portion, which is remembrance. We have talked a lot about remembrance in this house. We have talked about history and how significant it is to remember the foundation, to honor the foundation. And so much of our personal journey as a community has also been that we would, rem we, that we would become awakened to the things that we were always called to remember that have just been lost. his language, his culture, the feasts, our identity, our role, his will, his intentions, all wrapped up 
in one basic destiny as a people, not just here, kingdom heirs, but literally his people. And there has been a washing out of everything that we were called to remember. To such a degree that we haven't even known how to stand in a place of remembrance. If, if, we, if you don't know what you're called to remember, you certainly can't be positioned to safeguard that for generations to come, right? Remembrance helps forward. When we're talking about life from death, remembrance helps forward that movement of life. The exact opposite of the stagnancy that we have seen in the bride and that we're coming out of. When there's no remembrance, there is no movement. You have to go back to be able to go forward. Remembrance reminds us of the promise. That's what I see in this chapter and in how Abraham honors the life of Sarah. That remembrance reminds us of the promise and it also ensures that we're consistent or that we stay loyal to how to obtain it. There are clear directions on how to usher in and how to safeguard the promises of Yahweh. And if those are lost, we cannot be a generational people. Remembrance helps remind the generations to come how to call forth the promise. So there is such intentionality in the place and in the way that he chooses her burial. Because he's not just thinking of the fulfillment of that personal promise in his life. My seed, it will come from my seed. And he said the land of Canaan. So, so I'm purchasing this, I'm purchasing this plot. That is meant to be a source of remembrance, a reminder for generations to come. He is generationally minded. He is making decisions. Do we do this? I don't do this. Where, where every decision that we make is on behalf of those who come after. That I would set things in place in, in the mindset of being able to see life in death. That's the, that's, that's the transaction that's happening. In her death, he is acknowledging that there is life and that there will be life that comes from her that will continue to come from her. Generation after generation after generation after generation because I'm going to be intentional in her burial. What we absolutely have to learn from Abraham and Sarah is that that kind of a mindset was I could say that it's fresh, but I feel like that doesn't give them enough credit. 
more fresh than it is for us, right? As they were the ones who literally heard his voice and were told. And then at the same time, while I'm saying that, I'm like, have we heard his voice and we're told that we were to carry something on behalf of? And we're like, I forgot. <laughs> I mean, I did, right? Like in our in our in our daily lives, in <laughs> Jess, you're so cute. <laughs> but it, in, in in our daily lives, in the decisions that we make, we we're so we're reactionary, not intentional. And they had the the first the, the first promise that all of my descendants. All of the nations will come, and they walk out a hundred plus years of life together to obtain these promises through everything that we see them endure that's documented here. And the level of intentionality and the response out of that kind of a mindset that the decisions that I make, the decisions that I make, can either aid and provide a platform of remembrance for those generations that are coming that are mine, or, or not. It just speaks to how far removed we truly have, have become. Which is why whenever we are read, it is such a grueling work when you give yourself over truly because Yahweh is having to make himself and implant that mindset, that level of intentionality in all of us through some pretty thick walls and through some pretty deaf ears, some pretty deaf ears. Does anybody have any questions so far? Is that making sense? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the two impartations from tonight, before I get into kind of some more just releasing some connections and some things in the spirit, were that death is a beginning and a means to obtain the promise. and remembrance, that remembrance helps forward the movement of life. Okay. All right, I'm gonna sit for this part. All right, so when that word about the wall of resistance came, can I just see a show of hands of anyone and everyone who could identify with that feeling. So even before it was given a term, at service last Friday, it was given a term, which was a wall of resistance. But what was identified first was there's just this feeling. There's just this feeling kind of in the air. There's this feeling in connection. There's this feeling of quiet. And 
there's quiet sometimes in the busyness of life, and there's quiet in seasons, and that's not abnormal. That happens. But this quiet was unique because it came with a feeling of So, so hesitancy, pushback, internal, I, I don't mean literally with others, but like, like you could feel this like, just, or, or a stepping back, a stepping away, a, um, uh, was, was just kind of stirring everywhere. Can I just see a raise of hands if you felt that? If you felt that personally, like in and of yourself, um, you know what I mean? Yes, most of us, most people felt that. Okay. Um, so when we went into service last Friday, that feeling was given a term and it was the wall of resistance. And... There have been a lot of words about this wall. So I hate to add kind of another layer. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm going to because just as our process to step into the fulfillment of Yahweh's promises on behalf of, it's not just intimate. So when we talk about that wall... And there's a, our first, our first thought, usually, I'm so short, I can't see over the candles. <laughs> um, um, the first thought is, uh, there's a, there's a wall in me, or there's a, there's a wall, I have a wall. That's not wrong. That's, that's. That's true. Our, our processes are multifaceted and they are multidimensional. So a wall in me is a wall in the body. A wall in me is a wall for the bride, right? Because I, I can't separate the fact that I am her. I mean, you could try. <laughs> uh, and in our complacency, we, we do. We, we do try to separate, right, and not take full ownership and responsibility for the fact that you are the bride and that you are his body. So what you choose to allow, you choose to allow on behalf of others. What you choose to indulge, you choose to indulge on behalf of others. What you choose to dismiss, you choose to dismiss on behalf of others who don't have a choice for what you're dismissing. Okay, so while there is a personal aspect, and I know, I know that everyone has been responding and moving and activating that word and identifying those walls and and staring them down. There's another aspect to that because we are the bride that this portion is shedding more light onto. And it's that aspect of salvation being the beginning. Death 
as a beginning. Clearly, it didn't end with death because he rose. And in that is the promise of life. Right? Foundational gospel. At the same time, if what we as the remnant transitionary bride are called to shift is movement from the cross and acknowledge and reconcile the fact that salvation was always meant to be the beginning. It's not the promise, it's a promise. A promise that then gives you access to the fulfillment of every single other one. Is that making sense? Yes? Do we all agree that that's what we're called to reconcile as the transitionary remnant bride? And we know what I mean when I say transitionary. When we had a family conversation when we were trying to desperately understand what we were called to. What are we doing? Right. (laughs) What does this mean? Who are we? And Yahweh said, I'm going to write out a timeline for you, and I'm going to show you where I've inserted you, and I'm telling you you're a transitionary. Does everyone remember that? Okay, and if you weren't weren't here then, I'm, I'm giving a little bit of a recap. So... We cried out for understanding. Who are we? Yes. Why, why, have you, why have you called us here? Why are we so like-minded? What does that mean? What are, what are you positioning us for? What is this work on behalf of? Who are we? What do we call ourselves? That name came later, followers of the way. But what Yahweh said is you are transitioning the bride from the church era religion back to my original intent. That's who you are. 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 If you are here in this house, that is what you were called to. That is the destiny over your life. That's why you can say, I have found home. Because you have found like-minded people who say, yes, that's what I'm transitioning her out of and into. So that there can be a platform, a foundation set for generations to come who do not know what it looks like to walk outside of intimate relationship and covenant promise with him. That's what you're doing. Now, while we walk, there are things that get revealed to us that we have to, all right, this is a part of your role. All right, you're the transitionary. So I'm going to show you something that needs to be transitioned. I'm going to highlight something that needs to shift. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to reveal something to you that needs to be torn down because it was never meant to be built or it wasn't meant to be built in that way or whatever it might be, but that is the methodical 
undertaking of our lives. He reveals what needs to be demolished, and then he shows us how to build. Right? What's meant to be there in its rightful place, or to literally say, don't touch that. Or when, oh my God, I love when she echoes. <laughs> or, or when I tear this down, don't you dare rebuild it. Which is probably the most dangerous. And the one that we are the most susceptible to. So that wall that's been built, it is built up in you. But it is also a wall that Yahweh is saying, on behalf of the bride, will you knock that down? On my behalf, will you knock that down? It is both intimate. So whatever your wall looks like. One thing that I was releasing over over elders is picture your wall with individual bricks. Don't miss one. So whatever those bricks are in your wall, identify them because yes, it is personal and it is an intimate work that needs to be done in you, but it is an intimate work that needs to be done in you because you are the bride. And Yahweh is saying, will you tear that wall down? Now, part of the connection here is that that wall, stay with me, is salvation. I feel like I just had a mom face. It's like, is that, is, does that make sense? I'll emphasize. I'll speak to it more. I at first wanted to make sure that I didn't offend anybody. Okay. It's not new. This isn't a new concept because all that I'm saying is salvation, death, his death. I understand that salvation is life. So when I say death and I attribute it to salvation, it's only because the work that's been done in me this week is I see it as something that the bride has used as an excuse to not die. So don't mistake my association and my anger as proclaiming that salvation is not the gift of life. That's not what I'm saying. So if salvation was always meant to be the beginning. Remember your transitionary. In the church era, it was final. There was nothing beyond salvation other than your eternal life. Which is not wrong. But it's not full. That's not a new concept, so we're okay.
But if we stopped there, if the church era stopped at salvation, then what happened is a wall was built when salvation was meant to give us access to everything else. The promise of salvation is meant to give you access to the fullness of his promises on earth and in death. There is no death. But if we submit to the wall or we do not identify it correctly and tear it down as the bride, everything that's on the other side that was always meant to be yours and the generations that come after you cannot be accessed. And what offends him is that it undermines salvation itself because he died so that there wouldn't be a wall he died so that you would have access to all of him so that you would have access and the ability and be empowered and have the authority to usher in every promise on behalf of Yahweh to his people. And out of our complacency, which is why that word is being used so much, out of the complacency of the bride, we built a, we literally rebuilt the wall that salvation tore down. Does that make more sense, Yvonne? Again, it's personal and it's corporate because we rebuilt it. In what ways am I allowing, not only allowing the wall to remain, but I am fortifying every brick. And I am increasing its height and I'm increasing its girth and I'm, I'm digging moats around it and I what I'm doing whatever that's what uh, that's what those personal aspects of complacency do in us you fortify you are fortifying the wall that Yeshua died to tear down so that you can have the fullness of life And I believe that there is a connection I've heard from different people this week in relationship that there are some things being exposed through this Torah portion in them and in that wall like death covenants. Can you see how as a people we could be sent into a death covenant or have a foundation of death in our lives? and not the fullness of hope after death 
or, or that understanding that death is a beginning and a means to obtain the promise if we've only seen it as the as it, as, as it's final. If we don't move from salvation, then we don't walk in the fullness of resurrection life, then we're stuck at death. One of the things that Yahweh spoke to me personally this week in this portion is one of the things that has mothered you is death itself. That you will put more trust and hope in death than in death unto life. Almost like death is this final... I, I mean, we could get... There, there, but 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 do you see how how the bride could have that as her as like this this foundation that looks from one dimension like it's full and it's the gospel and then you look at it from another angle and it's like wait where's where's the unto Where's the fullness of life? Where's the beginning? I can say all day that salvation is the beginning. I'm not saying that that in the church era we didn't say that. But if I never am giving him permission to raise me, and I don't even know his instructions, Am I ever moving out of a place of death into life? I mean, truly, not that, not that that gift isn't inherently yours, because it is, and it's, inter- it's eternal, and it's instantaneous. At the same time, if something isn't full, what did we just say about a half-truth? If something isn't full, is it true at all? No. (laughs) Good job. You're right. Yeah. (laughs) And what is so important about identifying that wall correctly on behalf of the bride is that the promise is on the other side. And that promise is not just yours. Yes, it is. But just like death is a beginning and is a means to obtain the promise, so is that in you, meaning we can't use his death as a, as, a, as a transitionary people. I want everyone to write this down. If you don't have a notebook and you just have a phone, can you please get your phone out? I'm giving you permission to get your phones out. Can you write down that we cannot use his death as an excuse not to die? and not to live.
Yeshua is that promise of life and of hope, but receiving that life is absolutely up to you. Not in a, yes, salvation, but the fullness of salvation, what salvation gives you access to. It is up to you. And you have an increased responsibility because he calls you a transitionary people. So that promise on the other side isn't just for you to be able to receive a promise in your lifetime, but that you are a means you are a means for others to obtain his promise. So if death is the beginning and a means to obtain the promise, and you are called in response to that gift of life to die so that you can fully live resurrected as him, then you become the means of, for others to obtain his promise. That's how Abraham stood. That's how Sarah stood. That's what salvation gives us access to. Salvation gives us access to the ability. It literally gives us the ability to die to ourselves so that we can be resurrected as him. Again and again and again and again, every part of you, every attribute, every mindset, which is your wall, but as the bride, don't use salvation as the means to cut off access to the rest of the promise. Just making sure I'm not missing anything. Right. Do we feel like we can do this? Does that mean no? <laughs> Is it just taking some, some thought, some time? Yeah, Sally says together we can. Okay, Zoe says she agrees. I just want to hear, I want to hear how it's, I want to hear how that's sitting. I want to, I want to, I want to make sure that we, my heart is always to make sure that we recognize and fully receive our purpose because he has been so gracious in responding to 
your heart's cry for identity and to be received. And he did that after that was already made so clear. And he does it again and again and again and again when we question our identity, when we're unsure, when we fail in our flesh, in our human nature, again and again and again and again. And now, what he's looking for and what he's asking for is for a people who will walk that way and for a people who will respond and who when he identifies, when he directs us, when he gives us a directive and says, I need this torn down, that you remember, you remember his faithfulness and you remember who he is and you respond because if the transitionary bride turns their back he'll he'll do it again yes But would you ask that of him? After his response, after he ran, after he ran to us, after he pulled us out of a place, after he established you, after he called you by name, after he made himself intimately known to you, after he began to entrust you with his promises, entrust you with the will, the cry of his very own heart, that now when the time comes where he identifies something that he needs from us, that we would say, I I don't know. And that is not to that is not to blanket you in discouragement or shame, but to remind you that is always his heart is to remind you, even when he's asking something of you, that he still is so faithful that when he does, he reminds you who you are and that you can. And sometimes that comes from the voices that have been placed in your life, the voices of mom and dad and this, this family that surrounds you. There is no reason why you can't other than complacency, other than you. Which is why you cannot excuse yourself from dying unto life. Because no, in and of yourself, you can't. You absolutely cannot. 
There is not one brick of that wall that you can knock down, that you can push through in and of yourself. You absolutely cannot. But if we understand that death is the means to obtain a promise and is the beginning, then you can. Because dying is simply laying down and letting go of your flesh and your thoughts and your mindset and receiving his, which is happening every single day. It's accessible to you all the time. It's accessible to you every Friday when we take communion and when we... When we, when we read a Torah portion and when a word is released over you, you are being, you are in that moment, there is an opportunity and an exchange of your flesh, to an opportunity to die because of that access that he gave that literally will bring about a resurrected life in you. And the only thing that can prevent it is you. The only thing. So death is a beginning and a means to obtain the promise. As a family, we are moving from he appeared to the life of Sarah. Meaning the, the title or the framework of our Torah portions. That's why that that stirring took place, that feeling came, that resistance began to, began to grow over the last two or three weeks because we had spent a month in He Appeared, which is all too familiar. Now, it was new because it was meant to be us trading out what was once familiar with what we were always meant to be familiar with, right? So, so it was new, but in our, in the, in our complacent nature, and that is not a personal jab. It is the nature of the bride. If there isn't remembrance, there hasn't been movement. We've been stagnant. We've become complacent. If salvation is the end and not the beginning, we have no responsibility. We don't, we don't know we need to be raised. Right? So, so, so those, those are the things that have led to the state that we're in that he's asking us to confront. Intimately and on behalf of. We have an example in Abraham using death as a means to obtain a promise. And as a source of remembrance, because generational promise was so fresh on his mind, was his purpose, was the purpose, the purpose of his life when he was called. Were you not called? Were you not given a purpose? Have you and are you not continuing to be equipped to be able to respond to that purpose? 
Yes. We can see ourselves in Abraham and in Sarah and in our journey and in our process that this movement to the wall, to the other side, all of it, obtaining personal promise and on behalf of all gives us intimate knowledge of who he is and is an exchange and a response to that promise of life in itself. Because we know that death only means separation from him. So whether there is salvation or not, there can still be separation. Unless we access the fullness of life on earth in response to that gift. It has to be activated. It's just like anything else. I can be given the most incredible, thinking of something for baking, mixer. And if it sits on my counter and I never use it, is it, is it really a gift that I can proclaim, that I can declare? No. So we're walking away with Abraham and Sarah as examples, as forerunners and forefathers of our faith. We're taking away new attributes and values of Yahweh. His emphasis is always on life, even when there's death. It's always about life, always. And that he calls us to remembrance. And that can't be any more loud as a transitionary. The call to remember is the call to stay loyal. It's the call to safeguard generational promise so that that promise can be built on again and again and again and again until it's fulfilled and the work is done. It's super powerful and humbling to see that, uh, I guess, mind flip of how, like, potentially salvation being a access point has been turned into something else. Um, like, sometimes something that was so costly can be made to look so cheap in mm-hmm. that there's no requirement of me anymore. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it would almost be like, obviously I compare a lot of things to jujitsu, but like, no matter how much I sit in a gym, I don't become any better until I literally have some things like choked out of me or submitted out of me. <laughs> like it doesn't, not, I, I'm not any better yeah. until in a sense, putting certain things to death, like there, there's so much in that that then it becomes, for example, when I look at a 
black belt or somebody who is well accomplished that didn't just come because they hang out in places with a lot of people. It, it came because they they blood, sweat, and tears. Like they they put themselves in the most uncomfortable positions until things that they naturally did were broken out of them. And so, in the same aspect, then there's a greater value to those who are accomplished. So, as transitioners the greater can't be unless we intentionally put ourselves in difficult uh, life-changing I mean it we're putting things to death mm-hmm. onto life and so it was really I hadn't thought or heard of that until you mentioned that so uh, a powerful thing uh, there is those who do text to give um, and, and just label it as a uh, tithe and uh, it, it's super powerful and humbling just to hear uh, from Megan the, the things of the heavenlies and I can honestly say this house through individuals around me has definitely changed every aspect of my life has challenged and, and it's a it's a this is fertile soil uh, in a place to sow into. So, thanks for that. Well, let's continue to make, let that bucket make its way around. I feel like there's just such a there's such a weightiness and there's such a seriousness in word that was released and everything Megan prepared to to release tonight and just the like the tone that was set from that there's such a there's such a seriousness in it and that's not even I have a hard time even saying that because that's not that doesn't even begin to encompass or bring actual meaning to like what we're being called to and what what this is I want to share um, some things that you actually said last week, Megan, in your your closing from last week that I think need to just be like circled back to that we can remember um, and then move forward from there. And some of the things that you said that specifically came up to me that that I was reminded of when you asked the question, do we feel like we can do this? And I was prompted to go back in that moment when you asked us that question and look at what was said last week. And some things that you said were, um, like, can we flip a switch and see generations after us? Can we flip that mindset that says, thank God it's done for me, and stop at that? You said, generations are relying on you. Generations are relying on us. Generations are relying on us. You also said, from this point forward, everything we do is unto. And dependent on our response and our level of engagement. And that hit me. It hit me in the moment when you released it, but it hit a new level tonight. 
when we're understanding that everything we engage in, our level of response, is unto something. Um, I hope everyone wrote this down or had a chance to note this somewhere, but I want to just say it again when Megan prompted everybody to record this, but she said, as a transitionary people, we cannot use his death as an excuse not to die and not to live. And that we have an added responsibility as a transitionary people in that. I want to share a couple a couple analogies because I like and hear me out when I say this because my my mind works in analogies. A lot of times I'll I'll hear something and in order to make it applicable to me, there's like there's an analogy or an image that's attached to it that really brings some more understanding or some weight to it. And so could you could you imagine that you sign up for a gym membership? You go into the gym, and then you walk right back out. Or you show up to the gym, and you sit on the bench, and you don't do anything. Like, imagine what that would produce, which ultimately is nothing, right? Like, it's complacency, it's selfishness, it's unawareness, produces nothing. But in order to grow, in order to gain, in order to become better, you have to subject yourself and say yes to over and over and over being torn down and beat up so that things can be produced from that. Um, something else I was thinking about tonight was a lot of what I felt was released and a lot of the, the prompts, the, 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 the pressure I feel like you, you put out tonight and that we're feeling is a catalyst. A catalyst is a thing that increases movement and increases a response unto something else, right? Like if anybody knows, if you've learned anything about chemistry, you've heard about catalysts. It's a thing that is, it, it, it causes a reaction or a response unto something else. And I feel like that's something that we should grab a hold on to as well. Another thing that came to mind was, could we imagine standing at, we enter a race, we stand at the starting line, and you just say, I won. And you never, you, never, you never go anywhere. You never run the race. You never do anything with it. Like, could you imagine doing that? Just standing at the beginning and saying, I won. I got it. I'm done. Yet that is the thing that has manifested and has continued generation after generation until now. And we now have the chance the prompt, the responsibility to go beyond that. Now, I am personally really trying to just like grab and hold on to this concept of like we're, we're obviously, and you said it tonight, it's been said over and over, we're chosen. We've been set apart. We've been called by name. And that's something that, that's been said before in the church, right? Like, you're chosen. He loves you. You're his favorite. And nothing was ever done with that. But there's something that I, I think is just, we got to grab a hold of that and understand that not only is that an extremely powerful thing that, again, should, should prompt more movement, it should prompt us to, to move unto something else, 
but it, it should also be a huge point of encouragement because if, and again, this is, I'm not, I'm, I'm like paraphrasing and quoting what's been said before, but I want to remind us, if we are chosen, if we have been called by name, we can do this. We're not facing something that's in front of us and having to literally, like, that question shouldn't be there. Like, can I do that? The answer is yes, we can. Because we are chosen. But we can also say no. And I, I just, I feel like there's just, there's so many ways that we can describe this and so many ways that we can analyze this and go through this and over and over and over. And, and I feel like this could, staying in this place of analysis could even, even itself become a brick that's placed on that wall where we just kind of stay here, right? So let us not stay here and understand that we can do this. We will do this. We will move forward because we are chosen. So I guess just to I guess just to, to close, there's there's so many like I said, there's so many ways that we could bring emphasis to this and continue to like hit on this, but I one thing that we we kind of got into a little bit at Armory last night was that when we're facing processes there's a lot of things that you can do about it, but ultimately there comes a point where it's like boots on the ground, and it's and, and you got to move through it, and you got to be okay with what comes up with it. And so I just want to, I guess, close with that and leave us with that, um, in a way encouraging, continuing to prompt movement, action, and let us be postured in that place of, like it was said before, remembrance unto something, remembrance that prompts action knowing that there is, yes, an intimate side of it, that we will break through things in ourselves, which is awesome, but that that is meant to be unto something that comes after. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomairsflag.org. Thank you.